0: Hey, Kairos, how are you doing tonight? Wonderful. I like that. (laughs) Um, I got to say, you guys sound amazing when you sing. Goodness gracious. I'm sitting over here in the corner listening to you guys sing almost in tears because your collective voice, I think, is pushing back the darkness that enters into this world And our songs and our melodies and our worship is something that's special. It's something unique. And I I just want to say thank you to Caleb and the worship team for leading. You guys help me say thank you to them. Thank you. Thank you for worshiping like that. I look forward to worshiping more with you. My name is Michael Boggs. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Kairos. Um, This is my 16th year leading worship at Kairos means I started when I was 13. Yep. Started when I was 13, so glad to be here. My wife actually started working at Kairos before I did. She was a part of the Kairos team. Then I joined uh, shortly after that, and Kairos has not been able to get rid of me since. Uh, it's a privilege to lead worship here. I-, I hope that you understand my heart when I say that. I-, I can't think of a better place to be on a Sunday night than here worshiping with you. So thank you. also want to say thanks to Wade Owens, uh, the the campus and teaching pastor at the church at Knowensville, for teaching us last week here at Kairos. One of the things that he said is that God still raises dead things back to life. And we got to see that in the scriptures and illustrated so well with his flowers illustration. If you haven't seen that, you should go check out the Instagram page and watch that illustration. It's really amazing. And it got me to thinking You know, we talk a lot about gospel conversations at Kairos. Kairos is an honest and unique attempt to connect with God and each other. And one of the things that we hope happens is that we engage with the whole person, we engage the whole gospel of Jesus Christ with the whole person, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And so it occurred to me last week that some of us need to be having gospel conversations. We need to be going to our friends and our family and our co-workers and reminding them that God still raises dead things. And some of us need to go home, look at ourselves in the mirror, and have a gospel conversation with ourselves, Reminding us that God still raises dead things, dead dreams, dead opportunities, dead relationships, dead beliefs about who, uh, who God says he is, dead beliefs about who God says you are, who God says we are, who God says that we are. God still raises dead things back to life. And that's where I want to pick up this week in our text. I really like um, this particular passage of Scripture because I, I like to take walks, and this is essentially taking a walk with Jesus. Now, if you need a quick recap, in Luke 24, I know that was a chunk of Scripture that we just read. But if you need a quick recap, Jesus has been crucified and killed. He's been taken down from a cross, wrapped in burial clothes, put inside a tomb or a grave, and they rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to that, to that grave or that tomb. They put a guard there on a round-the-clock duty to make sure that this self-proclaimed son of God could not perpetuate the narrative that he could rise from the dead. And so you can imagine... What happens on the first day? Nothing, right? The second day, nothing happens. But the third day, there's a little bit of confusion and a little bit of excitement. I love the way the message says this. It says, some of our women have completely confused us. (laughs) You don't think the Bible's funny. It is. Amen, Dr. Luke. Some of our women have completely confused us because Mary goes to the tomb and finds what? The stone's been rolled off to the side, and Jesus is missing. Mary goes, where's the dead guy? She doesn't say that. That's not in the text at all. Um, But she does wonder where Jesus is. The angel appears and says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And Mary rushes back with this revelation to tell everybody and anybody who she can find to listen about the fact that Jesus has been risen or raised from the dead and she, her her revelation is met with doubt and discouragement people don't really believe her some of the disciples don't really believe her these are people that watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle They had watched him turn water into wine. They had watched him walk on water. They had watched him cast demons out. They had watched him feed a field full of people with a little boy's lunch. And now on Jesus' biggest promise, I will rise from the dead in three days, the disciples begin to doubt. They begin to worry. It's about this time that Jesus goes, is on his way to a place called Emmaus, and he runs into two other disciples. One of them is Cleopas. I'd like to call him Cleo for the rest of this sermon, if I can, because it's easier for me to pronounce. Cleo and his friend, presumably his wife, are on a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Jerusalem the area where the Passover was taking place, place where all the parties were. And they decide they're going to walk to a town called Emmaus, which is seven miles away. There's some sadness in that in and of itself. Walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, where all of the resurrection was supposed to happen or they assumed would happen in Jerusalem, it hadn't happened and they're sad. I think it's interesting that the text says that you could tell they were sad even though that Jesus couldn't really hear what they were saying, he could tell they were sad just by the way that they were talking. And he begins to take a walk with them. I wonder what it's like to take a walk with Jesus. You ever thought about that? What you would talk about? This walk with Jesus is probably a little different. Um, mainly because they don't recognize Jesus. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen Undercover Boss? <laughs> Caleb Crino was talking about this earlier. He was saying this is like the best episode of Undercover Boss ever. Undercover Boss is that episode where the person, the boss, or the owner of the business describes or disguises themselves. All right, and then they go work with some different people who work for the company to get honest feedback. And so it's bad toupees, it's mustaches, it's crazy looking clothes, and just just for humor's sake, when I read this story after Caleb said that, I just pictured Jesus with a bad toupee on. Maybe Jesus had great hair. I don't know. But I pictured Jesus with a bad toupee, a little mustache right here. This is a universal sign for mustache. And maybe he's wearing a flannel tunic. I don't even know if those were available back then. Flannel probably wasn't. But I just picture Jesus, somehow he's unrecognizable to people who followed him. Somehow, they miss the fact that the Son of God has risen from the dead and is now taking a walk with them. They've missed the fact that their sadness, their worry, the things that are racing through their mind are really unnecessary because Jesus is alive. And I couldn't help but think, so much like me sometimes. Some of the things that race through my mind are just unnecessary, unnecessary worries. But I love Jesus for what he does. You know what he does in this situation? He walks right in to their worry. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't excuse it. He walks right into it. Now, I find this interesting because Jesus could have appeared to anyone, anytime, anywhere. He could have come back with all the fanfare and the parades that he deserved. He could have come back with legions of angels angels declaring his victory over death. He could have at least come back in Jerusalem where all the people and the parties were. But for some reason, he comes back to two seemingly insignificant people in an insignificant place for a gloriously significant significant moment. Cleo is only really mentioned in this passage, and his friend is not even named. That's, in terms of the Bible, how, significant, how insignificantly the Bible has treated those two individuals. But they weren't insignificant, were they? Jesus walks right into their worry. If he walked into their worry, don't you think he'd walk into ours too? Don't you think he'd walk the road with us of a broken heart, the road of a broken life, the road of a broken relationship, the road of a broken future, the road of it could have been and it should have been different? He walks right into our worry. The worries you feel right now, the worries you're dealing with right now, he walks right into it. He doesn't just walk into it either, he walks with it. He walks with their worries. It's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, some of you can probably run that in less than an hour, seven miles maybe, but for the rest of us and probably for these disciples, that's a four to five-hour journey walking that, that many miles. He walks with their worries. And it's not just worry, it's its worry that's rooted in hopelessness i mean the, the text says that we had hoped cleo said we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel worry that's rooted in hopelessness is probably best described as resigning yourself to an undesirable outcome still all you can think about is that very thing you can't do anything about it but it's still all you think about hopeless worry Everybody, anybody here ever had a, a we-had-hoped moment, an I-had-hoped moment? I'd hoped to get into this school. I had hoped to be married by now. I'd hoped that I'd be dating someone by now. I'd hoped my mom and dad would stay together when they got back together. I'd hoped church wouldn't disappoint me again. I'd hoped my friend meant what he promised me. I'd hoped I meant what I promised me. Our lives are filled with I had hoped moments. And Jesus doesn't just walk into our worry. He begins to walk with our worry. Even worry that's rooted in hopelessness, he doesn't abandon you in it. Your worries will tell you that You're isolated that no one knows how you feel. or No one knows what you're going through. And Jesus is unrecognizable to you. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He walks into their worries. He walks with their worries. And then he does something I probably would not have done. He confronts their worries with his word. We've all laughed about this as a team today. um, Jacoby brought this up first, but she, she just said, I don't, I don't know if I would have done it this way. Like, I don't know if I would have revealed or, 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 or just continued to point to Scripture. I think I probably would have revealed myself by now. I would have revealed my identity. I can just imagine, like, I would have done the same thing too. It's at this point, there's so much tension. There's so much sadness. There's so much worry that I think I would have been like, hey, guys, it's, it's me, JC. You know, may, maybe you do something creative there, like, you know, you pour a little bit of water out of a bottle and it turns into wine, you know, as it's hitting the floor. Maybe, maybe he starts humming worship songs like, Great is my faithfulness, me unto you. You know, I don't know, like, maybe maybe he starts to reveal himself at some point here and relieve the tension, relieve the sadness. I mean, these guys are so sad, it's written all over their face, but instead of... of, of Um, adding relief to that moment, Jesus intensifies it by confronting their worries with his word. Confronting their worries with his word. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is more concerned with your character than your comfort. And I think one of the reasons that he chooses not to relieve this tension in this moment is because he could reveal his identity and cure this one worry. Or he could walk with them four or five hours and teach the scriptures to them And cure the rest of their worries. Do you think this is the last time that Cleo and his friends are going to have a worry? You think it's the last time that they may be tempted to believe that God has broken his promise? You think this is the last time that they are going to come across a situation where they don't know if the Bible was telling the truth, but Jesus is so patient and he's so good walks into their worry he walks with them in their worry and then he lovingly confronts their worry with his word. I did a little bit of research this week on worry and realized that there's an entire industry um, that capitalizes on our worry. Um, Marketing uh, companies um, they figure out what we worry about or what we could worry about create that problem, and then sell us the solution. So it's, it's actually pretty genius when you think about it. But I have some statistics I want to throw. I think some of them will be on the screen. This is from a Salesforce handbook and study. The average person spends an hour and 50 minutes worrying each day. That's a lot of time. of the people in this study said worrying negatively affects their personal well-being, their health, and their job, as well as negatively affecting friendships and other important relationships. One out of four people worry and never tell anyone, which means they worry alone. Nearly 80% of people say they worry more than they need to, and lastly, nearly everyone in this study said they worry more as they get older. Now, if a marketing agency somewhere in the United States knows that information, don't you think the enemy knows that information as well? And one of its tactics against you is to make you worry and to isolate you in that worry so much that it never crosses your mind to actually go to the word itself to deal with your worries. Jesus walks into their worry, walks with them in their worry, confronts their worry with his word, and then walks them out of their worry. What a way to take a walk with Jesus. There are lots of good and helpful books. There's lots of great resources and websites and apps. And there's lots of great sermons. But nothing will replenish the desert of your soul like the raging rivers of God's word. Nothing. You know, some of us... And here I think it might be helpful tonight if we just went home and read the word a little bit see if Jesus meets us in our worries I wonder what it would look like tonight if we were to trust the word more than our worries if we could take our worries to the word and then trust that word more than we trust Our worries. Take the worry of God can't and doesn't really love me to the word that says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not be separated from him forever, but have everlasting life. We take the worry of I can't do enough to earn God's love to the word that says God demonstrated his love for me and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me, which means before you ever had a chance to prove you were worthy, God said that you worry, that you were. We take the worry of my situation as never going to change, so I'm done hoping and praying that God will do anything about it to the word that says God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. We take the worry of I can't escape my past. If you only knew what I had done to the word that says I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives within me. We take the worry of I can't climb another mountain, I can't scale another wall, to the word that says I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. We take the worry of I wonder what people think about me. To the word that says you knit me together in my mother's womb, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knew all of my days before one of them came to be. Isaiah says, I'm honored and precious in your sight. Take the worry, as one of my friends said recently in a songwriting session, I'm afraid if I start crying, I won't stop until I drown. To the word that says one day he'll wipe away every tear from every eye. Notice he just doesn't stop the crying, he wipes away your tears. What if we took our worries to the Word? Let me just say this too, I know there's some people in here, you deal with significant worries. Some people that are very close to me in my life deal with worry at a deep level. And it's rooted in trauma, deep-seated fears that have become reality. Worry that I can't even imagine, and it's real. And nothing I say tonight, and nothing I say, do I want to invalidate or belittle the reasons you worry? But I wouldn't be worth my salt as a minister if I didn't remind you there's something stronger than your worries. So take your worries to the Word. Remember, I was... Uh, Time of my life, I said earlier, I think there's two kinds of people in this world: people that um, worry, and people who don't admit that they worry. Um, I would have probably been in that last category. At least that's where I would have self-assessed myself until about 11 years ago. And uh, something happened in my life that I I was worried. um, I was worried so bad I couldn't sleep at night. It's affecting um, my ability to work. It was affecting my marriage. It was affecting my friendships. I was worried. That worry lasted for about a year. The situation wasn't over for about a year. Somewhere in the midst of all that, I was sitting on the couch with my wife, Keely, and I remember telling her about a conversation I had as a teenager with a guy I really respected. And he told me, he said, if you ever find yourself in a dark place, just remember, nothing will minister to you like the Word of God will minister to you. My wife is such a good listener, and she pays attention um, in ways that I wish that I could. The next day, she came to me with a stack full of note cards, about 60 of them to be exact, that have scriptures written on them, so that before I laid my head down at night when I got up in the morning, as I was going through my day, I could pull these out of my backpack and. And read these. Let me just read a few of them to you because some of them might be meaningful to you tonight. Psalm eighteen twenty-eight: Lord, you are my lamp; my God illuminates my darkness. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for the one, for He who promised is faithful. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Psalm twenty-two. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Psalm 4.8. Therefore, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13. And the last one I'll read. I could read all 60 to 9. <laughs> you can find me later if you want to read some of these. Psalm 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I don't know what your specific worry is tonight, but I know that you have some. I know this room is probably filled with worry. Worries that are deep, they're not trivial. They're not things you explain away, so I'm not even asking you tonight not to worry. I'm saying drag your worries kicking and screaming to submit to the word of God. I want your worries to be worried about the Word of God tonight. I don't know what you're worried about, but I encourage you to take your worries to the Word. Let's pray together. Lord, some of us are in dark places. I know your word says that you're a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So light the way, Jesus.